Amen. Well, for those of you who are in the room with us, it is good to see you. For those of you who are with us at home today, I'm glad that you are here and joining us as well. Uh, 21 days. I was telling Christy just this weekend, it's been 21 days since I've gotten to stand here and share the message. Uh, we have been out in the woods. We've been taking walks in the park. We've been trying anywhere possible. You know what I've learned? One, we have two airports nearby that love to fly planes all the time. Have you realized that? We've enjoyed that. Thank you for praying with us. 19 days ago, for those of you who are watching with us online or may not know, uh, 19 days ago, uh, I tested positive for COVID. And because uh, unintentionally, good friends share, uh, Omar tested positive about a day and a half later from, from that. And uh, I guess the joy of that is knowing that your staff really likes to be around each other. That's part of who we are. We, we enjoy that. And so um, God has allowed us some very interesting time over that 19, 21-day period since we've last really been together. And starting off the book of Acts is, is, is really appropriate for the season that we're in. I want to let you know, we, we, were, we were talking about it when we tested positive for COVID, that it was a little bit surreal. Here we had not done anything different in the last few weeks that beforehand that we had done since everything started almost a year ago. And our mindset started to take in everything differently. Um, we were blessed to know that church members were praying for us. We had people drop off homemade goodies on the front porch uh, and run uh, and things like that. We were, were gifted with text messages and phone calls and all kinds of things to remind us that we were a part of a bigger story. And what was beautiful in that was when, when all that was going on, we were able to minister by phone calls and text messages the same way to others who are struggling with different illnesses. But it made us slow down. And I don't know about you, but slowing down is not something that I am amazingly fond of. I'm not, I'm not amazingly excited about taking a break and calling things off. And so for our house, we, we decided that we were going to be above and beyond. Uh, we were really about 16 days in before we really ventured into the outside world again, just to make sure that we were in the clear and uh, all those kinds of good things. And so over those 16 days, a surrealness set in. And, and I will tell you what, those 16 days from that point on, and now 21 days since we last saw each other, the story of our country, the story of our world, the story of our lives, it seems a little surreal itself, doesn't it? It, it seems like we're opening a book and reading what once thought not possible. You know, what, what COVID taught me is that there was a struggle between reality and my mind at times. Because what reality would tell me as we spoke with multiple doctors all the way through it was X, Y, or Z, this is how we go, this is how we get in the clear, this is how we know that you're being a good steward of your position. These are all these things. But my mind told me, but what if? But what might? But, but what could? What, what will they 
just my mind started struggling with the reality. And you know what I, I noticed? Because when, when you are sick, you see things differently, is you're not the only one struggling with that, I know this is it, but. But this is what I think. This is what I feel. It, it's this struggle between reality and a fictitious story that is so strong and so powerful, facts cannot combat it inside yourself. Have you ever felt that way? I remember the last time that we might have thought that way was as, as a new family. Um, when Ashley was just a baby. You know, your second baby that you bring home, you're like, come on, it's fine. He's crying, not a big deal. That's the hungry cry. We know what the hungry cry sounds like. Well, hey, your son's crying. Doesn't matter. That's the fussy cry. Needs a nap. But with the first baby, every cry is a nuclear bomb, you know, level four alert. And so you're battling all of your friends who have parents, right? You have to ask forgiveness later on in life. All of your friends who, you, who, have, who are already parents or even your parents, when your baby's worried and struggling and crying and they're saying, listen, it's going to be okay, you know they have experience. You know they've been here before. You know that somehow you're alive today yourself. But there's something in your mind that says, I trust my fictitious feelings over the data you're sharing. Is it everybody, you ever been guilty of doing that? I was so guilty of that. I was so guilty of knowing so much more than my parents and my in-laws. Um, so many forgivenesses had had to be asked during that time. But you know what? Even in that story, I remember it. But then as I read Acts and Luke's testimony of the story, it really struck me that we are found now, not just in our situation in life, but as a world in that same determination, battling the fictitious, which feels powerful, and the reality. So if you have your Bible, look with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We'll go all the way down through verse 11 today as we begin journeying through the book of Acts. This is what the Bible says. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is such an interesting beginning to a book. There's no other book of the Bible that starts this way. Luke is saying to Theophilus, a friend, Listen, the first letter I sent to you, that, that first story, that there wasn't enough in there. That, that talked to you about Jesus, the coming, who he was, just this orderly account of how I know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah that we've searched for and hoped for. He says, that book was all about the things of Christ from his birth until his death, and I even mentioned his resurrection. But there's more to the story than that. That's not enough. 
because Jesus did something crazy. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs. You know, I started to think about that. Why in the world did Jesus present himself after the resurrection? I mean, honestly, couldn't he have just simply died, come to life again, an empty tomb, waved to the disciples, and taken up in the cloud as we read in Matthew chapter 28, as we read in Acts how he ascended? Wouldn't that be enough? And the answer is it would have absolutely been enough, but God knows we like to live in the fairy tale of our imaginary world. The imaginary world that says my sinful desires can appease me and can please me in a way that something else can't. An imaginary world that says it's easier to live a life of sin than a life of godliness and holiness. An imaginary world that starts to believe that the power to change things, the power to wake up a sleeping giant is found in me. You see, as I started to read this and I thought about our time, Jesus made sure that after he died, that he spent time in this world, in the flesh, our risen God, to remind everybody, to show everybody that he is not just an idea or an ideal. That those who surrender to him are not simply following a thought process or a good book of wisdom by a dead guy. He showed himself to show himself to be real and by that opening the door to prove that every promise pointing to his life and his resurrection and every proof coming was still to be true. You see, Jesus proving himself was not because he was trying to win our favor. It's because he was reminding us of the reality of his manifestation. Now, I thought about that because Jesus made sure that his proof was evident. But even when, when truth is evident, we now have a question about reception, don't we? I mean, what's happened in our country over the last 2020 and even, I think, climaxing at the Capitol building being overrun, so to speak. I think it bears out the reality of this truth, doesn't it? Facts are not as important as my feelings, opinion, or thoughts. Facts are not as important as seeking out the truth. This is not something that started with the, the rush on the Capitol. It's something that's been going on and climaxing through all of 2020. We just slowed down enough to see it. That no longer is dialogue and seeking the manifestation of truth important. Instead, it's what I feel, what I think, and what I deserve. No longer can you tell me that my experience isn't real because I live in my imagination. I live in my fiction. Do you know what the enemy does? He cheers. He cheers 
when a child is so afraid of a nightmare they're waking up from and as the parent tries to console her with reality or him with reality a child is unwilling to be consoled in the same way for us the enemy wants you and I to live in the what if what would happen if what if they were what if they weren't you see the goal of the enemy is not to deny the proof of the reality of the cross and the resurrection and the life of our Lord. It's simply to make us feel like our imagination is more important. You see, because what we are convinced of is what we will follow and live out in conviction. Right? I mean, if I am convinced of my reality so much that I deny the proof, then I will follow with conviction the imagination of sin in my life. But the Bible shows us that Jesus gave proof not so that we would be think he's enough, but so that you and I would have to deny what is evident in order to chase the rabbits of our sin. Mm. You see, every story is motivated by conviction. I think that's why the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to start it off this way. So that we would ask the question of ourselves: what convicts you to live the way that you live? Are you convicted by the proof of the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ? Are you convicted to live for him in any and every situation? Or is he just a highlight to the story that you're living and writing for yourself? Luke says, listen, there is proof that we must deny in order to live in the imagination of sin. So are you willing to follow the proof or will you continue to follow your own story? Look at verse 4 through 7. Luke continues as he writes, inspired by the Spirit, and he says this, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered, not, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. When he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. And when, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Church, there is a difference between waiting to serve in our story and being a bystander just standing around this is a really interesting thing that we we can't find ourselves in because a bystander's role doesn't mean you're inactive have you ever been to a, a, a sporting event with a child when you have two children it's the best thing in the world especially when one is about three and one who's on the field is about seven not that this ever happened this is a fictitious story but the one who is three is enamored with the one on the field who is seven for about 38 seconds, amen? And then after that 38 seconds, what is the one who is three enamored with? 
whatever catches their eye, right? They're enamored with the child who is drenched and dripping in sugar dust from head to toe, and they want it. They're enamored with the, the nacho cheese that's spilling over the side and surrounding their friend's face. They're, they're caught up in the highway nearby and all of the cars running by, right? Because in this moment, they are a bystander to the game, but it doesn't mean that they're not taking action on their convictions. If you ever walk by the concession stand at the wrong time, you will know a child can be convicted to obtain what's behind those walls, right? Now, now look here. The disciples find themselves in their story at a point of conviction. And the question is, will they wait for the promise? Are they, are they waiting for God's marching orders? Are they waiting for the Lord's promise to rest upon them? Or will they stand around? And what we find on their heart is they're really thinking that they're supposed to stand around. That's, that's what they articulate. Because Jesus says, wait for the promise. And what do they say? Lord, right now, is now the time when you're going to work? Is now the time when you're going to fix what was broken? You see, the disciples in their mind weren't waiting for God's marching orders. They believed they already knew what God should do. And they're just asking, is now the time you're going to do it? Because when the kingdom was run by King David, it was legit. I mean, none of us were alive back then, but we know it was legitimate. And so now is it, is it now the time that you are going to overthrow Rome, you are going to reestablish the beauty of the Davidic kingdom, and you will show the world how important your chosen people are. Is now the time. In other words, we can't wait to sit back and watch you fulfill your promise the way that we think you should fulfill it. You see, a bystander can be very active and almost seem spiritual. God, our country is in a mess. Fix it. God, my family is broken fix it. God, my world is a mess. My finances are toast. Go to work. But you see, the bystander can be active as well and say, God, since you're not, let me take it into my own hands. I, I'm, I'm going to be a bystander to your story because I'm too busy fixing racial brokenness in this country. I'm too busy fixing social disparity in this country. I am too busy working on relationship reconciliation. I am too busy being a dad, earning a paycheck, and Lord, I'm sure one day you're going to come in this thing too, but right now I have to go to work and whenever you're ready to join the party you just let me know. You see, we can be active as bystanders, but if we choose to do that, then we simply are acknowledging that there is a story of the Almighty that is real, but choosing as we acknowledge reality to live our own story in our imagination, which has failed history every time.
You see, Jesus didn't want them to look backwards for his promise. He wanted them to look forward. He said, wait for the promise. Wait for my marching orders. Wait for my power to rest upon you so that you can move in me and with me. I started to think about this in the Old Testament. The disciples, excuse me, the people of God in Israel, they weren't supposed to get out in front of the cloud or hang back behind the pillar of fire. Joshua, he wasn't supposed to overtake any city until God had gone there first. The battles that they entered into were battles they found in the footsteps of the Almighty. And when they went into battle before him or when they chose to hold back, they always suffered defeat. You see, waiting on the promise of God doesn't mean being inactive and it doesn't mean do what's right in your own mind. That's the whole book of Judges. What waiting on the promise of the Father means is is that you are obedient as a servant child of the Almighty God so that as the Lord moves in your marriage, you're following Him. As the Lord carries your story into the world and the workplace, you're following His promise. You see, if He goes before you in the brokenness of relationship, then he's saying, I will repair something before you arrive. And I have a role for you in the shadow of my promise. Church, I've been praying over our country over the past few days in ways that I haven't prayed before. It doesn't mean I haven't prayed. I'm just saying it's been more potent. It's been more time-consuming. Because the reality of the imaginary world of sin that has taken over the thought processes of the entire world is obvious. And only the promise of God can enlighten that truth. But if I try to move and live with the mindset of the imaginary instead of the manifestation of the Almighty, then I'm really just standing on the sidelines of God's story working on my own. And we can't be willing to do that. You see, our story is motivated by a conviction. And the conviction focuses on what it is convicted about. If that conviction is from the Father, it will always look one way. Verse 8 through 11. Read it with me. The Bible says this. But when you will receive power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing in heaven, into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Church, what the Bible says here is, if you want to know if you're following Jesus, is the story of the cross, the story of the resurrection. The story of the resurrection will always be one of purpose. 
do you realize that there is no story that we will read in the book of Acts? There is no story from the first page of Scripture until the end where chaos is found among God's people when they are living in his story. Why don't you think through that for just a moment? There is no page in the canon of the word where men and women aren't submitted, are submitted to the story of God where chaos reigns. Why? Because God's story is already purposefully laid out. For you and I in the middle of this, we can look at our story and we can see, Lord, are we living for you? Have I acknowledged the truth and, and noticed the reality? Have I confessed who you are, but in myself, have I been living in my imagination while acknowledging the truth? Well, here's how we know we're in the right story. The Bible says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You need to hear this as we look from the first page of Acts to the end of Acts. As we've looked from the first page of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Here's what you and I can know. That our life is a story pointing to the Almighty. Church, if our life finds purpose in anything else, then we can be reminded that we are living in a fairy tale of our own making. I mean, this, this is going to sound overly biblical. This is going to sound overly simplistic. But think about this. If the gospel of Christ was given to be a testimony to the power and the authority of God to bring salvation to the lost who are undeserving... And now, as we look at the early church, we see that the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon God's people is for the purpose of witnessing close to home, Jerusalem, in my sphere of influence, Judea and Samaria, wherever my foot treads to the end of the earth. If we realize that, then we start to see the simplistic power of following the risen Lord, who gave proof not because you are important, not because I and somebody, but he gave proof so that we could see the reality of life compared to the imagination of sin. You see, simplistic, following the promise of God and his power. If, if you and I are having a problem in our marriage, start with letting the Holy Spirit witness to your spouse through you. Now remember, it's not chaotic, it's not man-made, but just let the Holy Spirit witness. It'll witness to Ephesians 5. It'll witness to Genesis 2. It'll witness to the wisdom of the Old Testament and the beauty of the New Testament. If you're struggling as a parent, then ask the Lord to let the spirit of power rest upon you so that you might witness to your children. That you might be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, in your home. In our community, in our country, at your work, it's the same thing. 
How does God bridge gaps that are wide, deep, and painful? Well, when people on both sides of the gap, in the power of the Holy Spirit, witness the characteristics of their Father to one another. Why is there no chaos in the movement of God? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no chaos because there's no friction. There's no friction because he is one. And the prayer of Jesus Christ is that you and I would be one together. First Corinthians echoes that. In John, he records it, that we would be one as they are one. Church, this morning, I don't know where you are. But as we start this journey of the story, maybe the first step is asking, am I living in my imagination a life trying to please God? Or am I living in the truth of his story? Now, here's the key. You and I can't live in the true story of the Lord if the spirit of power has never rested upon you. And the spirit of power, as Luke testify, comes through the promise of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to begin your story stepping in the truth, this morning it starts by confessing, Lord, I have seen the truth, the reality of your story. And I confess that I need to walk in submission to you and experience the life that you offer. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you this morning for your love and for your grace. You had no reason to provide many proofs. You had no, there was no pressure on you to prove the reality of who you are. But Lord, you chose to do so, so that you could make starkly noticeable the manifestation of truth versus the imagination of sin. So Father God, I pray as we talk about our story as woven into your story, Lord, that you would let us deny ourselves, deny our imagination and our chains to sin and grab hold of your truth. Lord, motivate us, convict us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.